0: Man, that's fun. It's fun to worship together and thrilled that you're here. If you are a guest, we just want to welcome you again and glad that you're here. We know new people every single week when we gather and we're just thrilled that you're here and given investing of your time and kind of on a spiritual journey and we pray that this would be a place where you could kind of put down some spiritual roots and begin to investigate who we rally around and that's Jesus. And we want to follow him well. And so you're kind of jumping into the middle of a series, but we'll kind of catch you up on a little bit. In fact, if you are a guest, um, what I'm going to do next, like we never do, except like last week we did it. Uh, But like, so like we've never done it before that. And so it's like not weird or anything, but I'm actually, we challenged ourselves to memorize a bible verse. what yeah i know uh, so we challenged ourselves to do that and it was james 119 is this ringing a bell for anyone just kind of raise your hand and you're like oh yeah i remember us talking about that because like sometimes when the preacher says hey we should memorize that together and everyone's like yeah that'd be a great idea And then we go to like dinner and we're like, what was that? I don't remember. So like James 119, we challenged one another to kind of memorize that two weeks ago. So you're going in at two weeks. I'm so proud of you. I know you could do this. Anybody bold enough to be like, you don't have to stand up. You just kind of raise your hand and shout out like, I think I got this, okay? And and there's a chance that there may be a reward in this. I I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. So anyone bold enough to, like, just, you you only have to stand. Okay, right there. All right. I I see that. Crazy hands waving. Got it? Okay. Uh, uh, That is awesome. (laughs) And... Ricky, that's really, really cool. And uh, hey, uh, Ricky, meet Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. Okay, so there you go, man. Jesus Chicken, that's Chick-fil-A. So <laughs> thanks for that. Now, I don't want to throw shade at anybody, but I want you to know Ricky's been here three weeks. The rest of you all who've been gathering here for years, you just got to show it up. Okay. Anyone else willing to give it a shot? I don't have Jesus chicken for you, but it might be have something else. I don't know. Everyone else says crickets, crickets. Just he said it. What he said is that what you're saying? What he said? Perfect. Do it. Do it. Yep, James is writing. Yep, yep. Awesome, great job. It's not Jesus Chicken, but M&Ms make friends. So, there you go. Awesome job, gang. Now we said in the very first week that that was kind of a new rhythm that James is introducing about words. The series is all about our words and how we use them, how we leverage them. Words have weight to them, and James is saying, "Look, I want you to have this kind of rhythm, which is the opposite of the world's rhythm, right?" Our world says, hey, be quick to talk, slow to listen. In fact, don't even listen at all, just kind of shout and get angry about it. And that's kind of the culture in which we live. And James is saying, no, 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 there's a different way to live. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And so this rhythm is meant to be, not just something to see this memory verse challenge wasn't just so you could say, hey, I remembered a verse. That's cool that you can do that. But here's what I pray for you. Here's what we wish and want for you that you would internalize this rhythm. That it would mark the way you live. And here's what I'm gonna tell you, I guarantee this will happen. Your relationships will be better. Your relationships with your kids will be better. Kids, your relationship with your parents is gonna be better. Your relationship with your wife, your spouse is gonna be better. Your relationships at work are gonna be better. When you live with this kind of rhythm. And then last week we looked at James kind of carried on. And he had this section in James chapter 3 where he talked about, look, uh, trying to tame the tongue is impossible. And he kind of unpacked some examples and he kind of said, look, it's impossible to do. Remember James chapter 3, verse 2? It said this We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. So how many of you have stumbled in what you've said before? Yeah, 15 of you. Okay, so like how many of you have stumbled in what you've said? Okay, I know this hand works. I know you have hands. Okay, we've all stumbled, right? Because ain't nobody here perfect. Ain't no one here perfect. You're able to keep your whole body in check if you never stumble, but we do. And that's kind of what James is saying. It's like this tongue that we have, these words that we speak, this tongue is such a small part of us. And yet it has this vast and big influence around us. And you may not be able to tame it. There may be an unpredictable factor in your words, the whole bit of your life, from your first word to your last. But you can begin to guard it. And that was the takeaway. You cannot tame, uh, your mouth cannot be tamed, but it can only be guarded. And we're meant to kind of put a guard over our words, kind of have a a warden over your words to say, look, I, I want only what's best to get out. And so that's actually what the Apostle Paul is gonna pick up on and kind of hint into and talk to us about tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians chapter four, you can open up the app, go down to sermon notes and follow along there. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's writing about faith. Now, what's fascinating, especially if you're kind of new, maybe someone invited you and they said that they promised you dinner, I hope they take you to a really good dinner and I'm so glad that you're here and I'm glad that you're investigating spiritual things and we, we cheer for that, people. We want to we celebrate that all the time. And maybe you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, so can I just remind us real quick that like, that wasn't his original name. His name was Saul, and he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, meaning he was a religious dude to the hilt in the jewish context he was kind of the upper echelon of what that is to live kind of in the jewish context in fact when the early church after jesus's resurrection which set the whole church in motion and this whole movement of the church this movement of jesus that's based on his resurrection and him saying i am the messiah i'm the one who's come lived his life he died and he rose again to prove that he is who he says he is and when that jesus movement began to move Saul actually tried to stamp it out. In fact, he oversaw one of the murders of the early leaders, Stephen. You can read about it in Acts chapter seven. And Stephen is stoned, uh, not like the kind of stoned we understand, but like thrown rocks at until he dies, okay? Like he gets rocks thrown at him until he dies. He dies for his faith in Jesus. And Saul is there watching over this whole thing. And then he begins to go on journeys to different towns to stamp out this Christian movement, to stamp out this way of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 9, you can read it for yourself this week, Jesus meets Saul. And he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's knocked off his horse and this vision, and Jesus has a conversation with Saul, and Saul loses his eyesight, and he goes into trying to understand this, and this is a conversion moment for Saul. And God changes his name to Paul, and he begins to be a part of moving this Jesus movement forward, so much so that most or a lot of your New Testament Bible is written by the guy we're going to read about tonight, who had a moment that changed everything for him. And he became a person of faith, no longer trying to stamp out this faith, but now a proponent and advocate for Jesus, his Savior. He goes on to martyrdom, gives up his life for the sake of Jesus. And so if you're skeptical about Christianity, you've got to understand Paul. And you've got to read into his journey because he was like you. And then something happened and it changed everything for him, and he gave his life to this, and so Paul is an incredible uh, person who's writing to the early church, carried on by the Holy Spirit to kind of say, write these words. These are divine words to the people, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he kind of starts in this section. I want to kind of break apart this section of what he's writing, and then I want to zero in on one particular verse that kind of goes with our series, but we have to understand it in context, and so Chapter four, verse 17 through 19, here's what he says. Therefore, I say this and testify to the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thinking or their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from life with God because of the ignorance that's in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. This may sound harsh, but what he's trying to say is, look, the norm that goes on around you, this worldview that's going on around you, you are to be different than that. You don't just replicate the norm that's around you. You're to be different because of what Jesus has done for you. They became callous. He's speaking to the Gentile nation, kind of the the pagans around this, the context of what's going on around them. They become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity, to the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more and more. And Paul's saying, you're to be different. You're to be different than just the norm of the world around you. Your worldview is to change. So when he's writing this back in the first century, you have to understand the worldview of the time. The worldview of the pagan world around was a very polytheistic culture, meaning multiple gods is what they believed in. We understand Greek mythology and begin to have these influences that are there. And the worldview of the day, the norm of the day was simply might makes right. If you got the power, then you can move things. The people with the gold make the rules. And no one matters but you. Everyone for themselves. Winner take all. My, 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 have we changed. Zip. 2,000 years later. And it's still the norm of the culture, the worldview around us. They believed that the Greek gods manipulated everything and everyone, and thus everyone was out for themselves and to do what they thought was right, no matter the impact upon others. Right? That's the context. And Paul is saying, You're to be different. Everyone in the world should be grateful for Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the early church. Why? Because they advocated for what we now assume. They were advocates for what we now assume. Listen. You assume that everyone has individual rights. You just assume that every individual has value. You and I assume that women should be treated with the same respect as that of a man. You assume that poor people should not be picked on. They should, not be, they should be given the same rights and dignity and status as people with wealth. You assume that the sexual assault or sexual abuse is wrong any time and every time. We just assume that. But that was not the worldview of the day. That was not the norm of what was going on, and Jesus and the Apostle Paul in the early church advocated for what you and I assume. And the impact—the impact is dramatic. The dignity of individual is most pronounced in the countries and our generation that have been impacted by the message and the influence of Christianity. It's just this leftover effect that is had upon culture. The teaching and influence that men and women and children are made in the image of God and we therefore have intrinsic value because God says so. Not because of what we produce or how we can be manipulated. See, we assume that, but that was not what what the norm was of the day. And what Paul is writing is, "You, you and I gotta be different. People and followers of Jesus are going to be different, and we advocated for that, and he begins to point to this, and then he goes on, and he begins to say, look, this is how it's to begin to impact, and it all stems from faith in Jesus. Here's what he says. Chapter 4, verse 22. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, meaning that you'd live more and more of the way God does. You're to put off this old way of living, and you're put on this new way of living, and it happened the moment you said yes to Jesus. See, the verb to put off in Greek is literally this aorist Turn the tense of that that says it was a one-time decision, meaning it's not a multiple thing. It's one time. It happened, and now you've put off the old, you put on the new. This rhythm of putting off and putting on. You and I, um, we we soon, I believe, I'm going to speak it into existence. Soon we will be putting off t-shirts and shorts, and we'll be putting on what people refer to as sweaters and jackets. Not this week, because it's supposed to hit 90 again. But eventually, we, before Christmas, I hope, will be able to say, I'm going to put off the t-shirts and shorts, and I'm going to put on jackets and sweaters. I'm going to, this idea of change, transformation, of, of change that happens in the context around us. And that's what Paul's writing about. That, And he wrote earlier about it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. He says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not by work so that no one can boast about it. It's a gift from God that this decision, what Paul's really writing about is this exchange that you're to have to put off the old and to put on the new. It's this gospel exchange that when you say yes to Jesus, it changes you from the inside out forever. You're to be different. And so the invitation, friends, is real simple. If if you've been coming, you're here, you're trying to get your mind around this spiritual thing I just want to show you this verse. It isn't about trying to clean yourself up. It isn't about trying to be good, trying to do enough good things to outweigh the bad things in life. It is about making a decision of saying yes to Jesus for grace that we've been saved. It's what Jesus has done on your behalf that sets you right into having life with God. And if you're here and you've never done that, I just want to invite you to consider that. To lean into that, to investigate that it is worth your time it's worth your life it's worth your life to investigate this and so if that's you then weigh it out talk to the people that brought you talk to us we'd love to help you make progress in this to maybe you getting to the point where you'd say yes to Jesus he's worth saying yes to friends and so What Paul is saying is, look, you you made this decision, and it's setting you up to be different. You, You don't just go along with the norm of what's going on around you. You are different. You're to put off the old and to put on the new. You have this gospel exchange and he says it's gonna impact your life and your living. And he says it in just a couple other verses of some impact, some changes that are supposed to happen behaviorally and just life and how you infuse life. And then he kind of says, he kind of gets up in our grill a little bit and he says it's gonna impact how you speak. And then here's the verse I want us to key in on. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Friends, this is a powerful statement. It's unbelievable what he's advocating. And just like James chapter 1 verse 19, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, is this new rhythm of how we're to speak. Paul is introducing a new, a new purpose for how you speak and how I speak. A new purpose for us to understand that when we have conversations, we are to be people who build up those around us. See, our world uses words to fill up, fill up the space of conversation and what's going on, but we wanna become a people that use our words to build up those we converse with. That they leave better after hanging around with you than when they got there. What a world we would be a part of if we just got that. Imagine. Imagine what your relationships would be like. Imagine what your friendships would be like if everyone lived that out, that you would be blessed more and more and you would be a blessing to those around you. And why are we talking about this? Well, because we know words matter. The way we use words matters in all we do. Think back to when you were young. What kind of words that you remember significant adults speaking over you or at you or into your life? Were they words that built you up, that championed you, that helped you with encouraging words to to kind of live for you and kind of lifted you up in a way? Or were they words that tore you down and spoke against you and at you and they weren't really for you? And the truth is, every single one of us can think back and we go, I have experiences maybe of both. Maybe for some of you, you lean a little bit more one way or the other. And it either stirs up a smile in you or it stirs up pain and hurt and drama within you. In fact, this week, I want you to take a mental inventory. Do my words build up or do they tear down? That's the question. Just take a mental inventory between now and next Sunday. How am I doing with my words? God, are they building up or are they tearing down? And just kind of go on a journey this week with you and God and say, God, I want to get better at this. I want to be someone who lifts up. Remember, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to build others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now here's the preacher challenge. I want you to memorize this verse. What? Two? Yeah, get over it. You can do it, I believe in you. Go, you can do it. Why? Because it's not just a new rhythm we need. We need to understand the new purpose for how we use our words. Do not let any unwholesome talk. What's fascinating is the Greek word for unwholesome is sapros and sapros is this idea of um, rotten, putrid, disgusting fish. So let's say you went to the restaurant tomorrow night, right? and you ordered fish instead of chicken. Listen, chicken's way better, but like you ordered fish because you're for fish, I don't know, for some reason, And, and you order it and they bring you out like the scales, peeled onto the plate and the fins and like they, they kind of get the skin there and they left the eyeball so you could poke them and they serve it up to you and say, bon appétit. I don't know why they would say bon appétit, we're not in France, but they would say that and you would do what? Right? You'd be like, no, no, wrong table. This is not what I ordered. I want the meat of the fish. What Paul's writing here is do not let unwholesome talk Come out of your mouth, meaning don't serve up putrid fish to people around you. Avoid fish mouth is what Paul is saying. You want to serve up something that's good and helpful. You want to serve up something that's nice. You don't want to serve up putrid fish, rotten fish to people. You want to help them. This all fits together with guard my mouth, James chapter 3. Everyone should be what quick to listen slow to speak, slow to become angry. Do you see how all these things begin to tie together? I hope, because that's what we're trying to get across. Guard your mouth. Listen, this isn't just say words that are kind or words that are nice. So Paul's not saying in this verse, look, just be flowery with your words. That's not what he's saying. And if you read it that way, then you're missing the point. What he's saying is don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but what only is helpful to build others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who are hearing you, benefit those who are listening. This isn't just be nice. This is be helpful. There's a difference. Our words are to be building material. Every conversation you have is a construction zone. You ever been on a construction zone? You have to wear one of these. An active construction zone, you have to wear a hard hat. And it's weird at first, like walking, like I'm in a dirt lot, I don't have to wear it. They're like, safety first. In fact, they say that on their helmet, safety first. And so they say this idea of, okay, you got to put on this hard hat, you got to understand. I want you to think about this reality. If you just get this tonight, get it. Every conversation you have, you're on a construction zone. Every conversation you have with your kids, with your friends, with your coworkers, with the people around you that you cross on the street, the people at the convenience store, the people in the restaurant, every conversation you have is a construction zone. And your words are to be building material that you would speak what is helpful, that you would build up this person in front of you to become aware of the one who wants to build something great in their life and through their life, that you would build this person up to be more and more what God is developing and calling them to be, that you would build this person up that they might be able to move forward and grow in life, that you would build up and be helpful. That could be words of love. That could be words of encouragement. Listen, that could be words of challenge. Sometimes we have to say things the way we need to say it. How we say it is different, but what needs to be said needs to be said. And it could be words of challenge. So it's not just be flowery, be nice, be kind. I love Ben's bells. I'm all for it, and I like the be kind thing all around our city. But this isn't just that. This is be helpful, which means you have to know the person you're conversing with. Or you have to listen to learn why be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry why i'm listening to learn so that when we further converse i am helpful i'm not just nice And I'm not just kind. See, if I showed up at a Habitat for Humanity and you came with me and we're building a house, you're all familiar with that? Uh, Jimmy Carter, oh, my gosh, he's still going. It's amazing. Uh, And so, like, he's building homes. And we, we show up on a work site. And all the walls are built for the house, but there's no roof. Anyone agree that roof is important for a house, right? Okay. And we show up and we're there to help. And what we do for the next 8 to 10 hours in volunteering is build additional walls. Hello. Thanks. Thanks for doing that. But like we really could have used a roof. That's what we were needing. Um, I'm glad that you built more walls. So maybe we can use that in a future, future site. But like we really wanted a roof. That would have been helpful. Think about it. When you show up in every conversation, and you treat it as a construction zone, what you're looking for is to be helpful, not just nice, not just kind, not just active doing things. What you want to be is helpful. That's what Paul's saying. Be helpful with your words. Let your words build in and build up the person around you, which means you have to pay attention. It means you have to invest your time and your focus. Listen, I know this is hard. You are probably like me, that sometimes when you're caught up in a conversation, your mind is elsewhere. And you're wanting soon for your body to be elsewhere. I don't think I'm alone in this. Don't raise your hand, just raise your eyebrow if you struggle with this at times. Right? Where you're like, that's awesome, that's a great story, that's a really long story. Wow, the story's still going. Uh, and just in that moment, you're wanting to be elsewhere. But see, I can't speak helpful words if I'm not in the construction zone and I've mentally checked out and I'm somewhere else. That's why it requires focus and time and energy and effort. But what if we approached every conversation like it's a construction zone? We build up people intentionally that when they leave our presence, they are better off because they were around us. Imagine if that became the reality. Imagine what that would mean. And then Paul continues. He says, look, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Meaning according to their needs, not yours. That it may benefit the one who's listening, not so much the one who's talking. So much of our words are spoken because we want to feel better. We want to sound better. We want to come off looking smart and knowledgeable, intelligent, and we want to benefit somehow. I want you to hear my story because my story is cooler than your story. And yet the truth is, is that really helpful? Or is it just trying to make me look better and me feel better in this conversation? And so there's this challenge, this tension that we have to wrestle with. I want to be a person that builds up the other person, not just me. That's why I want to ask questions. That's why I want to learn. I want to be quick to listen, slow to speak. I want to guard my mouth, and I want to be one who builds up. Listen, I want to get better at this. I'm 48. I hope when I'm 58, I'm so much better than I am right now. And when I'm 68, then I'm better yet. I want that. I want you to want that that you'd be better at this, that we would be better. When the church gets this right, friends, woo, we earn the right to be heard. And friends, we have not earned the right to be heard because we don't do very well at this. As of the church, we have got to get better at this, which means I'm not just memorizing this. I want to internalize this. This challenge to say, Paul goes on, he kind of gets up on our grill a little bit. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. When you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit became a part of your life. And don't grieve him by what you say. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who is in you. Don't use your words to demolish what God is building in the other person. God is already at work building. Don't let your words be the one who demolish or delay what God is building. Let your words build up what God is building, and what he's active in. God is already at work. Join him. And then he says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. Get rid of it in Greek is literally this get rid of it. I don't know if you knew that. Get rid of it is not just stop it. Get rid of it is you bag it up, you take it out to the corner, and you let the truck come and get it and get rid of it. You do this every week with your trash. That's what Paul is saying. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of rage. Get rid of slander. Get rid of all those things. Don't let them stick around because your bitterness will seep into your conversations and communication. If you don't pack it up and get rid of it, it will linger around and the stench of fish mouth will begin to permeate and kind of waft across the conversations you have. You cannot be a builder if you're bitter. You can't. It affects the content and the intent of everything you say. It affects the tone and the tactics and the treatment of people that you have and how you interface. It affects what you say and what you refuse to say. You cannot be a builder if you're bitter. We cannot build up if we're filled with bitterness. The antidote to bitterness is forgiveness, which means you've got to practice it. Is that hard? Yes. It just is. But we have to engage in it. See, forgiveness is the decision to give someone else from your past something they don't deserve in order to free yourself up to give the people who are in your present what they do deserve. I want to build you up. And so I've got to forgive this. I've got to get rid of this stuff. I don't want it lingering around because it's just going to stink everything up. I've got to get rid of it often to get rid of bitterness if we don't we continue to wound the people who are in front of us with our words we're trying to pay someone back from our past by doing to people who are in front of us what we wanted to do with someone else and that's why we've got to forgive so we can move forward we got to get rid of this we got to get rid of degrading and demeaning and disrespecting others i don't want to serve up rotten words i want to avoid fish mouth Why? Because I'm on a construction zone in every conversation I'm in. And I want to build up. I want to build into people. And then Paul wraps it all up with this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind, be compassionate, be helpful. Build up. Friends, our world tears down and uses words to demolish. We see it all the time. Our world tears down with our words and chips away at people, cutting them off. But the truth is, the strongest people I know don't put others down, they lift them up. And that is what Paul is saying. James is saying, Hey, new rhythm be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You've got to guard your mouth. You'll never get rid of the tension, so you've got to be on your guard do not let any unwholesome, do not let fish mouth be a part of your life, but you build up those around you that it may benefit them and that they would leave your presence better off for having been around you. And as you have other people pour that into you, amazing things happen. When the church gets this right, we earn the right to be heard. We earn the right to listen. We earn the right to speak and to invite people into what has changed our lives a little closer to Jesus. This is an amazing opportunity for us. It's an amazing opportunity that we get to be a part of saying, God, would you help us get this right? Because it changes everything. It, it impacts In fact, what I want you to do right now is just, we're going to take 30 seconds. Just close your eyes where you're at. And I want you to think. Just a short little prayer. God, who do I need to build up? God, who do I need to build up this week? And you're just asking God to maybe impress a name or a face into your mind to say, this is the person I've been at work at. There's a construction zone going around them, and I'm at work, Jesus is saying, and I want to partner with you, with your words to build up and to build into them. See, what was amazing about Jesus is he's perfect in this. He's so good at this, and he wants his followers to grow in this. When you read through the gospel accounts and you see how Jesus interacted with people and the times he asked questions, the times he listened and didn't say a word. One time he began drawing on the ground because the crowd was so angry at the moment and anger was gonna take over that situation until it didn't. Why? Because Jesus was quick to listen and slow to speak. And it changed everything for this woman who was there And you begin to read through the gospel accounts and you see how Jesus built up, built into. Every conversation was a conversation in a construction zone. And sometimes it was challenging, sometimes it was inviting, and sometimes it was encouraging, sometimes it was loving, and sometimes it was just a whisper. So God, would you help us to be unleashed this week to the person that you put on our mind and in our heart, would you help us to build up in our conversations that that this verse would become more and more internalized to us, that we do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. We're guarding our tongue, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, and it may benefit those who listen. Jesus, as we pause to take communion, to remember your life and your death and your resurrection. That you paved a way for us to partner with your Holy Spirit given to us. That it's not us just trying to do better at this and us trying really, really hard. It's us leaning dependence upon you. That the way you spoke and the way you speak as we depend on you would be more and more the way we speak. The words we would use would be the words that you already And so as we take this cracker representing your body, drink this juice representing your bloodshed for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might have life with you because we said yes to you. Not because we're good or that we do more good than bad, but simply because of faith we said yes to Jesus. And now we're empowered to live a different way, to put off the old ways, to put on a new way. So God, this week, would you release us commission us to be people who build up that one name you gave us the one name you'll give us tonight would you help us to say yes to that to partner with you in the construction zone of conversations to build up stir our hearts as we close in worship as we commit to memorizing this we want to internalize it we want to have the right new rhythm we want to have the right new purpose with our words Jesus, thanks for modeling. Thanks for showing us the way. Thanks for empowering us to live more and more like you.